0: Hey everyone before we get into today's interview just wanted to drop a little reminder to stay up to date with all the latest episodes of on the margin you can subscribe to the blockworks macro youtube just go up there just click the little uh, subscribe button or you can click the links at the top of this episode it'll take you over to apple spotify whatever your preferred platform is just subscribe there if you could leave a rating interview really appreciate it all right on with the show all right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of On the Margin. Today, I am joined by repeat guest, Charles Edwards, who is the founder at Capriol Investments. Charles, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for us, Michael. Yeah. Um, so I want to get started. I've got your most recent investment note pulled up here. And I love it because I think it encompasses a lot of things that we talk about on the show. You've called it the three-factor model. And I love it. That The title here is, What Drives Equities Markets, Fair Value, and Price Inflation? And you've named these three factors. So can you just kind of uh, outline to us what these three factors are, why you've chosen them, and then we can sort of dig into that diaspora of consequences that result from it.
1: Yeah, no, no problem. Yeah, so that three-factor model I re- released that uh, it's probably three, two or three or four weeks ago, around there. <laughs> but um, I was just trying to think of what is the most simplistic model for valuation or, or what has the least inputs and explains most of the valuation in equities markets in particular um so um yeah i basically just went for a walk one day and i was thinking about it and, and thought of these three uh gdp money supply and interest rates GDP uh, and those three in particular because gdp captures obviously innovation technology enhancements things that increase people's output money supply as that goes up and down that obviously impacts inflation and the overall price of assets, um, as we've especially seen in the last couple of years, and then interest rates. Of course, the more aggressive they are, the harder it is to acquire capital, raise capital, uh, and and that is kind of an expense or or a you know um, a restrictor on on growth, so to speak. So this model is simply just the summation of those three metrics and their returns on a daily basis. That's it. So GDP plus money supply less interest rates and there's no coefficients or anything it's just simply rate of returns of those added together and if you put that on uh you know baseline it on the sp500 at the starting point of that data set which is 1965. it basically plots almost perfectly uh, a linear regression on a, on a log scale on the sp500 and it puts us today at almost smack bang fair value just below actually so um that's quite interesting. I like that model because it's it's simple, um, and uh, and and it explains ninety percent of returns uh, over that you know uh, fifty plus year period. So so today we're we're actually just undervalued on according to that metric. Of course, it's important to consider that you know there's lots of things that aren't in this metric. It's not looking at individual companies, uh, and there's a wide spectrum of valuation and pricing there across equities, but. It just it gives you a good reading of where we're at in the market, and you know how much hype or or uh, fear or pessimism is in the market. You know we're not extremely overvalued right now across the board. We're not extremely undervalued. It's it's pretty fair, fairly priced. So if you if you scroll down on that, there's a, a version of that metric. Um, so that's just the same thing on a log scale. It's a bit easier to see. Um, and then this has just got a, a bit of a band around it to give you an idea of where we're at. Um, and we plot those metrics live on uh, com slash charts as well.
0: One thing that I'm, I'm curious about is, obviously, if you rewind the clock back to the last couple of years, there's been an extremely tight connection in between, especially liquidity conditions within macro and the price of Bitcoin. And, you know, we got our decorrelation. It was the decorrelation that we hoped for, right, mm, in, yeah. in crypto, but... Now now what I'm wondering is yeah you know, we've got slightly higher rates as sort of a base. You know, we may or may not be at the end of this the Fed's tightening regime here, but does that almost one to one correlation in between liquidity conditions, the Nasdaq, all that stuff still exist with crypto or in Bitcoin or do we have the chance to be a little bit more uh idiosyncratic here and there could be a break to the upside that's independent of macro?
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure. So I think, yeah, short answer, definitely we do. And a, a part of that is um, the extremes that Bitcoin's been at. And when, when you're at this kind of cyclical lows, you know, 80% drawdowns have happened, the decorrelations tend to, uh, to play out across markets. So, And we saw that this year with Bitcoin leading on the risk asset side and, and completely rallying uh, substantially. So short answer, it, it, it shouldn't matter too much. Um, but the the longer answer is how would it play into it, and uh, I think that of course it will have an impact. There will be relationship between the two, especially if the Fed um, pivots or if they have to print excess liquidity into a, a new crisis, which may or may not occur on in the near horizon. So we, we've covered off a number of the macro elements. Um, Valuation wise, it looks relatively uh, you know normalized but across a number of other metrics, some concerning factors to, to monitor. And things could move quickly. If unemployment ticks up or if consumer spending does collapse uh, and continue the trend it's on right now, um, then knowing that consumers are out of that excess um, savings they've had from corona and, and knowing where the stresses are in the banking sector, there's definitely factors there the Fed's going to be watching. And, th- and they've been building this war chest to to cater to that um, by the reduction in their balance sheet and by the interest rate rises. So they'll be ready for the next, next crisis when it happens. It's hard to say when that will be, but it, either way, what I'm trying to say here is that, either way, when they have to step in, it's going to be great for inflation hedges like Bitcoin and gold, um, with 90% of that, probably that uh, inflation hedge benefit going towards Bitcoin. And of course, with the halving coming up, that's really going to add some, some
0: fire into Bitcoin. I would love to get your sense of how you're viewing the halving. So if I had to drastically reduce the simplicity of the Bitcoin cycle, I'd say something to the effect of "Right, there's an initial sort of level of demand. The halving ends up cutting supply in half. That supply shock sort of ripples through the market. The price starts to take off. It kicks off this extremely reflexive cycle. This is the The price innovation cycle of crypto, right? The higher the price goes, the more media covers it. You get these weird buyers and (laughs) these narratives of like treasuries putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet. You get the sailors of the world. All these buyers sort of come out of the woodwork. El Salvador adopts it. Very unpredictable stuff. And then at some point, uh, the price starts to collapse under its own weight. The, The, you know, nothing can go up in a parabolic line forever. For whatever reason, price starts to turn over. Uh. Bitcoin passes from weaker hands into stronger hands, and then typically the marking the end of the capitulation is when miners start to sell because when Bitcoin has been going up, people view it as being very attractive. It's much more profitable to mine. We don't need to get into the whole cloud mining model, but that was something that was sort of sort of doomed, where people lock themselves mm. into this these heavy sort of capex uh, cost structures, and then they get a bunch of little miners that that put their mining their mining uh, equipment in the in that factory, then they want to turn it off. But then these people are stuck with these rakes So, it just creates this force selling dynamic, the Bitcoin disperses, the level is found again, the bottom is sort of found. And then we r- rinse, wash and repeat. The thing that is a little bit different this time, right, is every cycle, Bitcoin is a slightly lower part, a uh, lower amount of the overall crypto market cap. And one, one big change, I think this particular cycle is stable coins as well. And a lot of folks that fled into Bitcoin in previous cycles are now holding stables. And my question to you is, is the halving still going to be this big supply shock thing that kicks off the market cycle like it has been in the past? Do you see its prevalence being overall sort of diminished? Or how are you just viewing the uh, the halving as a, as a catalyst?
1: Yeah, no, that was a great summary of uh, Bitcoin in the last 10 years or so. <laughs> so I, I agree with everything you said. Um, and yet... Yeah, So, short answer is, I think, yeah, this cycle's still playing out to effect. And um, we've seen continued evidence of that just over the last year. So, Q4 uh, 2022, obviously, we had the collapse of FTX, the market bottom at 16K or so. And that is cyclically wise, almost smack bang within a few weeks of every prior cycle bottom. Um, That's one data point. But then there's lots of other data points uh, on the on-chain side, which not just timing wise but also valuation wise a very indicative way to expect to be 6 to 9 months out of that sort of vertical price action part of the the bitcoin cycle which typically follows the halving event as you touched on um so yeah this next halving obviously we we, we talked about is is going to be very powerful in terms of the narrative kick uh, becoming harder than and gold the best inflation hedge asset obviously in the world now so so bitcoin's really going to have that under its belt whether or not stablecoins have an impact, I, I I don't think so. I think um, Bitcoin still leads the pack in terms of the the crypto market. Uh, there's been plenty of consideration over the last two or three years if the cycles were over and everything's priced in and you know, we're a bigger asset class. And that, that hasn't played out yet. I think you know in hindsight, if we didn't have the most aggressive uh, macro policy being implemented at the same time and if we didn't have all these bad players in the industry that have been washed out, Maybe things have been a bit different, but um, we still would have had quite a significant cyclical impact. So we still got these 80% drawdowns. Old coins were destroyed down 90% in complete capitulation now. So um, things are really just ticking along with how you'd expect a cycle to be. So so yeah, I, I'm definitely expecting a lot of those elements you, you talked about to play out next year, um, the kind of self-fulfilling nature of it and how the markets uh go up in accordance um there'll be a supply squeeze at the same time we've got these etf approvals which will very likely be rolled out at the same time biggest asset matter in the world uh blackrock obviously expected to be approved the next six months or so um overnight we've had or during the day if few guys we've had uh the the grayscale um sec ruling overall so all these things are kind of lining up for heavy capital flows to come in and, and everything's matching what you'd expect to see in the data.
0: Hey, everyone. We'll get back to the show in a minute, but just wanted to let you know that we've got our permissionless conference coming up. This is the one that we do with Bankless. It is the biggest and best conference in DeFi. It's going to be in Austin, Texas this year, September 11th through the 13th. Now, you've heard me say this many times on our show before, but the time to be bearish on crypto was 18 months ago when the Fed began raising rates. Since then, our the entire market is down more than 50%. We've had all this bad news. In the last two weeks, we had BlackRock and a whole slew of other institutional invest- investors file for a Bitcoin ETF. This space is not going anywhere. So if you're interested in investing in the space at all, I highly recommend that you attend this conference. The other thing, and I've said this before as well, brand market conferences are the best ones. In the bull market, you have all this retail, all this noise. Now you only have the people that are really here building great products. This one is worth your time 100%. And since you are such good listeners to On Margin, which I really appreciate, giving you all a special 30% discount code. It is margin30. Now you can access that by clicking the link in the bottom of the show notes. So you can see my fingers pointing down, click that link. Because you are a listener of On the Margin, you get 30% off to the conference. Again, the code is margin30. We'll see y'all there. Just to underscore that, this just came out today, but the U.S. Court of Appeals granted Grayscale's petition for review on. So we're recording this on Tuesday. It happened again during during our day, where to drastically oversimplify, Grayscale has indicated its desire to transition from a closed-end fund into uh, an ETF, which was originally shut down by the SEC. That has gone through the Court of Appeals, and with the court, essentially came back to Grayscale uh, to the SEC and said we don't follow your logic here in denying this yeah. this uh, ETF application. So you need to go back, you need to go and, and take a look at this. So on, on the head, that doesn't sound so great. But the, the actual logic, right, is when you start to dig into what the court questioned and, and didn't exactly stand up one-to-one is, well, you know, I, they pointed out, I think, what many of us in this space have thought for a long time, which is it mm-hmm. makes zero sense that you would have a futures ETF and not a spot ETF, because obviously, the spot and the futures are correlated. Seems like seems like a pretty simple transit yes. property <laughs> logic, right? Um, logical, yeah. <laughs> seems very logical. So I'm not a legal expert here. I do think, uh, you know, people tend to rush to conclusions, but it definitely is not looking uh, as slam dunk as it did for the SEC in the past. And I also think, look, BlackRock would not, they have a 575-in-1 record of getting ETFs approved. I just don't think they would have done this to make a political statement. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, so, so to, to, to knit all of this together, I think it looks like we might be getting, you know, knock mm-hmm. on wood, a <laughs> potentially a Bitcoin ETF approval around, you know, within two mm-hmm. months of the halving cycle. And that would roughly align to when the market is pricing in the first rate cuts. For the exactly. exactly, and
1: yeah, the SEC's credibility is just being destroyed, isn't it, at the moment. Uh, it's it, it's unbelievable it's taken this long, but um, it's great to see that this is progressing in the right way now, and, and I think that was, like I said, it's is pretty much guaranteed as soon as BlackRock entered the picture. They've got 99.8 success rate um, for all ETFs, so it's almost a certainty. It's just a matter of when. Um, and if you look at the Grayscale uh, Bitcoin it, uh trust discount to, to the spot market. Uh, that's also been a pretty good sentiment metric of how things have improved this year. So it went from minus 50%, so 50% less value than the <coughs> uh, than the, uh, the Bitcoin price, to about 25% a couple of days ago. So substantial improvement, which means there's probably some institutional capital flows happening there throughout the year. And then that's now jumped to, to minus 17 with this news in the last uh, few hours. So, uh, Almost at the spot market price, which is a great barometer for for spot uh, market sentiment. So, there's been a number of things like that improving this year. Like, it, despite it being uh, feeling slow in the space, uh, even though price has gone up a lot, we're, we're at all time highs in hodler rates. So, two year holdings plus have, have reached 56%, um, which is huge. So half the network isn't moving their coins at all. Um, and um, we've we've also had just had an increase in adoption, so new high uh, approaching the highs
0: of um, of wallets would just balance on it. It's very easy to make the mistake of assuming that the next twelve months is going to be similar to the last twelve months, and I think there's pretty good evidence to suggest that that's not going to be the case. And it's very tempting to believe that right in the in the nadir of a crypto winter, right? It's it's hard it's mm. hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I think you're getting some forward looking indication that. Things things might change, right? And just in terms of cycle lengths, uh, this is about we we are we're approaching, I think, one of the longer bear markets that crypto has ever been in. So, unless you think that it's it's not going to turn around, now is probably around the time to start taking a look, right? You're starting to get those those initial bits of hey, maybe that we might turn the corner here soon.
1: The metrics that I look at to see to confirm time wise where we might be in the cycle is. The relative you want to see extremes hit and undervaluation hit in a lot of on-chain fundamentals and then they should should come to a normalized level. And a lot of those a lot of important long-term metrics have hit that sort of mid-range level, which matches pretty much exactly like 2019, 2015, 16 sort of range where you get the bottom part of the cycle and things start to tick up. So we've had long-term holder inflation rate, which is kind of the growth rate in long-term holders exactly hit that normalization. Uh, supply delta, another metric of the sort of short-term to long-term hurdles and how that's um that's trending also normalized. Um so so things are, are shaping it quite well for you know I, I'm kind of thinking 2024 will be the that single sort of 12-month window where you get 90% of the returns in each Bitcoin cycle. Um so it's, so Bitcoin's so asymmetric. You, you you sit around for two to three years and go through a lot of pain. <laughs> And then you get about 12, if you're lucky, 18 months of incredible returns. And for me, that window is rapidly approaching in in sort of the 2024 time space. So
0: can you describe, uh, we're looking for for listeners who are following along on audio, we're looking at the hog growth rate chart uh, that Capriol uh, uh, Charles put together. So what we're looking at here is uh, a Bitcoin price uh, going back to 2013, assuming that this is in a log scale. And we're also looking at this this metric that you gave us, which is the hodler growth rate. So, I would assume is this is this the the percentage of people who've been holding for a certain period of time, or what is this what is this? Metric?
1: Yeah, it, it's essentially the annualized growth rate or rate of return. So the change in the uh, long term hodlers. so those that have held their supply for over two years. Um, so. You know, if, if you've got conviction asset class, you're going to hold it for a long time. And that drains supply from exchanges. It drains supply from new entrants and other adopters, which obviously is, a, is the same as a halving event, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it creates a bit of a supply squeeze or a, a, um, a, you know, a, a, a price has to move up essentially if, if more and more people are holding long term. So that is, as I said, that metric alone, just the raw two-year plus holding has hit a new all-time high. Um, but if you just annualize that in a growth rate, this is what this chart is here, you can get a bit of a picture of how that changes through the cycles. And normally, that what we call here the hodler growth rate would peak at the cycle lows because the long-term investors maximize their holdings at a discount and then they look to sell and reduce their, their holdings as price rallies up. So they're, they're locking in that profit um so we've hit a level now in in um you know end of august 2023 where it's we've had exceptional growth through the year and it's now starting to plateau in a similar structure to what we've seen in every price cycle and every price cycle obviously the the relative heights diminish as we have uh you know less and less new supply hitting the market and and um you know growth rates organically just on all assets decay over time so it's it's very much syncing up, as you can see with the, the limited data points we have there with where you would be at the end of a bear market and you know six to nine months out of that real price opportunity coming. It is worth noting though that um, this, like a lot of these kind of cyclical metrics, suggests that we could still have you know three to six months of consolidation ahead of us or sort of choppy, uninteresting price action, but that's the basically the last window of opportunity you have. Um, historically, at least, to kind of make long-term allocations at you know great, great prices.
0: One of the other trends that you that you see in in Bitcoin over time, and I'm going to go out on a limb and make the argument that this is actually a good thing because I think what we want is for Bitcoin to be seen as a store of value and 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 money, and what you need in order for that to be the case is less volatility over time. So if you look at the percent returns of bull markets going back from you know, 2013, uh, 2017, 2018—the most recent one. The actual mm-hmm. uh, trough-to-peak returns of Bitcoin diminishes over time, which people like to say, "Hey, uh, the the returns are going down over time." I personally don't think that's a bad thing. If what we want is for Bitcoin to be a uh, store of value that you know big institutions all over the world are going to hold, I would argue that uh, reduction in volatility is actually not a bad thing for the long-term returns of something like Bitcoin. But how do you expect that playing out this next this next cycle? Should we expect diminished returns, uh, you know, sort of peak to trough compared to what we saw last cycle? Or how do you sort of model that out or think that through?
1: Yeah, in, in the long term, Bitcoin will be a very boring asset.
0: <laughs> I think if you fast
1: forward 10 years, maybe 12, uh, you know, two or three cycles, uh, I think the volatility is going to be very dampened and just trend down ultimately in the long term to essentially what you might think of as a stable coin. Um, because everything's known in advance. The supply growth rate's known in advance. And at some point, the uh, incremental drops in that supply growth rate or the, from the halving is just going to be so negligible. It doesn't matter. So I think the cycle's still relevant, but every cycle diminishes in size. And that chart also we just had up shows that as well. Just looking at the hodler rates, everything is always diminishing. But that's normal in any asset class that goes from small to big. Any stock, any any investment experiences extreme volatility in its sort of startup growth phase, um, lots of up and downs, and then it ultimately stabilizes significantly over the coming decades. So there's no reason to not expect that for Bitcoin as well. But we're still a while away from that.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, you know what the other, the flip side of that is the larger and more liquid that the Bitcoin market becomes, you level up into new buyers. So one of the complaints they used to hear, especially around 2018, 2019, and it's coming back now because there's a lot less liquidity in crypto overall, but, but even Bitcoin, is, look, if there are sovereign wealth funds over in Europe, the, Nor- the Norwegian sovereign wealth fund has a trillion dollars. I mean, mm. Bitcoin is simply too small as an asset class for this to move the needle for their portfolio. But the larger that you get the The more you exactly. level yourself up into yeah. these buyers that have much deeper pockets and can propel to can continue to propel bitcoin's growth into the future, so that, that's another framework that I've always had in terms of bitcoin unlocking new yeah
1: that that's definitely true. um, and then you get to the you know government level as well. um so it's not going to be just a straight path of down volatility. There's going to be spikes in there, possibly bigger than I've ever had before. um it's just a, if you really zoom out over decades, I think that the trend will be a continuation down but with a lot of swings in there especially in the next one to two cycles we could see potentially some of the biggest volatility and and upside returns we've ever had because we're kind of hitting that sk s curve uh part of the adoption cycle where you start to go vertical you have about 10 years of kind of growth and then you go vertical as as the uh, you know it goes from early adopters to sort of middle uh of the market you know that the The majority of people enter the space, and then it kind of plateaus again. so it's not a one-way line, but um, and I think there's tons of opportunity in the next decade. It's just beyond that. I'm not, I would expect to see the impact of cycles start to reduce.
0: What's going on everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now many of you will probably be familiar with our platform but BlockWorks Research is the most blue chip spot to get research, data, governance models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code Margin 10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. One thing I'd love to get your perspective on as well. Here, let me actually pull up this chart. But there was on one of our other podcasts, Thousand X. There was the uh, Avi uh, Feldman and uh, Jonah Van Borg made this observation about. It's kind of the a point people used to bring up about macro proxies for institutional demand in in Bitcoin. And what what they observed was that before the sell off a couple of weeks ago, there was a you actually saw micro strategy in Coinbase, which you know, in a sense, I think uh, are probably indicators of demand, public market demand in Bitcoin. You saw it kind of leading the way here, right? So these Mm -hmm. uh, orange and green lines sort of led the way down. And then there was this sell off in in Bitcoin. I I would be curious, I, I think it's relevant for investors listening out there who might think to themselves, you know, Bitcoin feels a little risky, but Maybe these public market stocks like bitcoin miners that actually produce cash flows this feels more real and substantive to me do you think that that's ultimately less less risky or how do you view the relative investment of some of the public market opportunities for exposure that you have for bitcoin versus just owning spot so so that must be blackrock pushing the prices down yeah
1: No. (laughs) no like um i think yeah exactly um I think that's probably, yeah, those assets, stocks effectively being used as a proxy for Bitcoin. There's, I've, I've spoken to a number of um, you know, anecdotally institutions uh, in range of size over the last 12 months. And since FTX, there's been a lot of hesitancy to get into this market. There's also been um, some you know, professional trading firms from um, TradFi markets you know that that had started to dabble or or set up pilot projects if you will in crypto in 21 and and even early 2022 that just pulled the plug and and exited so i could imagine that <coughs> that teams that had already set up capability or or saw different opportunities would be more willing to you know trade that stock at least on a on a short-term basis if they're they're not comfortable with custody options etc that exist in crypto I do think that story is changing now. Um, as I said, we've we've seen a lot of recovery in 2023. We're seeing all the regulation go the right way. Uh, you know, even just this grayscale thing—the last day—you know, normality and logic is starting to to take place. So things are changing. But um, you know, I think once we get those those major ETF approvals um, uh, with BlackRock and and the various other institutions, Fidelity, etc., that are that are following suit we'll see flows probably of institutions, uh, you know, head towards Bitcoin more, this, this sort of anomaly or, or Delta will we'll close a bit. Um, but yeah, we're just in this weird spot where we kind of stepped back. We went through such great sort of institutionalization in 2020 and early 2021. And then we took about a, a three or four year step backwards. <laughs> In the last 12, 18 months. And I think that will again revert in the next sort of six time. But um, yeah,
0: we're, we're, we definitely took a bit of a step back as an industry in 2022. I've always had mixed feelings about that as an industry participant because, on the one hand, it sucks, right? And these, these periods of time aren't fun because all the growth that you were experiencing during a bull market reverses with gusto in the opposite direction. Some of the uh, you know new entrants that you might have been subconsciously hanging your hat on for credibility, and say, oh well, like this big institution might have been buying, or this media outlet is covering, or, or this that, and the other things start to go away. But the flip side of that is, if you're a long-term investor or an operator in this space, it is long-term good for your relative market share because these people. That weren't didn't have real buy-in or or conviction or a thesis about the space. We're about to come in and throw ungodly amounts of money at the sector that you're operating in. Hard to compete against ungodly amounts of money. Mm. And mm. now this happens to us in media every every couple of years, where the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg say we're going to gear up and we're investing in crypto and we're building a team, and and then this period of time happens We're like eh, we don't. Eh. We don't think we need to do that anymore. So yeah. it's always it's just a silver lining of working in this. Where you know I don't want the institutions not to come in, but I always view this as a period of runway for us to have as well. Uh,
1: yeah, I agree. You're right. Silver lining is a good way to put it. It's it's definitely um, a- an opportunity for us to stick around and and go through the slog. I um, yeah, we touched on before the show that. Uh, those that are left working full time in industry are the ones who, are, at this point, they're not going to leave. <laughs> um, there's been, you know, some people come and go. We're in for the hype, but uh, the yeah, it's it, it gives us a good opportunity at
0: the moment. Yeah. So I, I want to start to wind down here, Charles, and maybe call in a little bit more, a little bit with a little bit more specificity on some of your recent research. So you've I'm looking at a piece here uh, that you guys put out. The Capriol macro index. This came from a couple of months ago. But yeah, you, know, you mentioned you were describing some of the, the metrics that you look at in order to get a sense of where we are in the cycle. And you know, you you list a couple of the the inputs into this into this index, such as hash ribbons or supply delta, their Poil multiple or any number of things. And you sort of define Bitcoin regimes. And I can share my screen as well, just give your research a bit of a, a plug, but also give a visual for. The listeners who are following along because i find it helpful as well and wondering if you could just define what you mean by the the macro index and these bitcoin regimes and, and then maybe help us place ourselves relative to the current cycle and we i'm going to ask you to dust off your old crystal ball and and give us some predictions about how much longer we've uh, we've gotten the slog here
1: yeah sure so that it looks like it's the article we wrote about the that whole index it's essentially a, a strategy which aggregates over 40 different on-chain fundamental data points and equities-based data points and feeds it through an ML model, which basically weights all those parameters and rebalances and then adjusts uh, on a daily basis to where um, we are on, on, on a regime from contraction being fun- fundamentals on-chain data essentially going down um, to expansion where they're going up. Um, and, and it's, it's basically all an oscillator essentially around a zero line, kind of like a, a Z-score, if you will. So below zero um, recovery is when you're trending up and you're below zero. Expansion is when you're above zero. So the, the darker the green on this chart here, the better. Um, the typically, the improvement in fundamentals, it's typical of the early stages of the bull run where you get the most gains as well, and vice versa for the, for the red uh, or the contraction. If you click on uh, Insights as a charts page, so yeah, you can see there those colors are kind of overlaid on the price. Um, and we went into contraction about four or five weeks ago around uh, 30-odd K, um, which basically is saying that the fundamentals looked pretty bad. Um, they continue to trend down. Um, and so that model, for example, would be in a cash position. Um, and, and today, um, they're still not looking great. Um, but something to note with this, uh, fund, this is not looking at price at all. It's only on-chain data. It's great for managing risk. So when it turns from recovery to contraction like it has here, that was a good signal to reduce allocation in the market. So something we write about a bit our in our uh, bi-weekly updates. Um, but it, it's also a metric that can be slow to turn around. So if things, you know, the the fundamentals... Uh, and and price they are they're interrelated. Sometimes one follows the other, sometimes the other way around. And if things move quickly or you get made, you know, if BlackRock ETF gets approved tomorrow, it's going to take a while for on chain data to catch up with what will probably ensure over the next sort of 24, 36 hours. But for now, this is the main sort of bearish factor that I'm monitoring closely for for Bitcoin allocations. If this was trending up, I would, you know, feel like it's a, Incredible opportunity right now. I think it already is a great opportunity in terms of the level of discount. So if you scroll down to the next chart, um, that's the sort of that gives you a better idea for value of how deep that reading of that scale is. So the depths of the bear market, um, the FTX collapse, for example, you get to around minus two, incredibly rare, and that's like those opportunities you just want to grab. Where we are now at sort of negative point five ish, uh, maybe negative point six, is Typical of the late stages of a bear market, so you're not going to get much better than this. Like, I don't think we're going to get to negative one, Um, uh, and we're rapidly approaching. As you can see in that next chart, even (laughs) I'll I'll finish up on that one, but uh, we're rapidly approaching the red line there, which is Bitcoin's electrical costs. and that's the historic price floor for Bitcoin. So that, for me, that's the single best long-term sort of allocation metric you can use because it's the absolute floor price of electricity uh, that miners have to pay on a global average basis. As you can see, price almost never goes below that red line. If it does, it's for a matter of hours or days. Um, so that's at 23k today. We're at 26k uh, odd K right now, 27. And so that, that just tells you where the relative opportunity is. It's definitely skewed um, to the upside, I would you know I'd love to see 24k taken and and have an, an increased allocation 24 23k, uh, 24 being uh, weekly support and then 23 this kind of floor level, that may not happen and it and it just tells you that okay does it really matter as well in one or two years if you got it at 24 25 or 26 if we're at this level of kind of opportunity here so that's one metric to keep in mind and amongst all things this one probably provides a bit of clarity for me at least in in where
0: the value is the electricity as a price floor is just the it's a very simple thing for for me at least me to always understand why that should exist and yes i see in this chart that it does and yeah i I also agree with first of all uh we'll, we'll link this in the show notes but guys highly recommend that you go and check out some of the the resources that Capriol has but you know, I, I think this, just to to maybe layer a little bit of subjective commentary on top of this chart, just foots with with how I think about things as well. You, you had the FTX sell-off at, at one point last year, or in November of last year. You had pundits calling for the end of crypto. You had, you had prices falling out of the sky. Just capitulation and forced selling as far as the eye can see, bankruptcy, and it. you were just never going to do much better than that. I think that sentiment. Obviously, this is not financial advice. I have no idea, but it does feel like it's not going to get you're not going to get a much better opportunity. You might get more time, but you might not get a much better opportunity than than what exists today. Uh, assuming that you're a buyer in this market and you know, you're long Bitcoin and crypto overall. But um, yeah,
1: I, I'd, I'd agree with that. It's we're kind of to, We're in this sort of time period where it seems like you almost have forever. <laughs> Because we've been going through this for so long in um, this sort of what this bear market phase. But it's one of those things that just ends overnight. Uh, You'll wake up one day and that opportunity will be gone forever. But of course, it's crypto. As we've seen in the last 18 months, anything can happen. Nothing's impossible. So you always need to manage your risk and um, be comfortable with the allocations you make.
0: Charles, you've been generous with your time here. And uh, I just really appreciate you coming on and giving got this great synthesis of the high-level macro, but also even getting down to some of the technical indicators of Bitcoin just feels very valuable to me. If folks want to find out more about you and your work or follow the work that you do at Capriol or or whatever, what, what's the best way to uh, follow, get in touch, find out more information, whatever it is?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, and my pleasure. It's been great to be here and, uh, and chat about the markets. I always enjoy that, Michael. So thank you. Um, yes, you, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Caprioli.io or X, I should say now, I guess. And, um, and obviously we've got our website, caprioli.com,
0: if you want to reach out. I'm just not sure I can ever call it X, but yeah, technically it is <laughs> yeah, X. It doesn't feel right yet, does it? <laughs> this feels weird. It just doesn't it's blow up. It's going to take con. a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. All right, Charles, this has been a phenomenally fun conversation. I'm sure listeners will find it as useful as I did. And thanks again for coming on. Likewise, cheers.